Hey everybody, I'm Brooke and I sobered up August 2nd, 2016. Hi friends, I'm Suzanne and I sobered up December 19th, 1991. Together we got a lot of recovery and we host Seek Purpose, the podcast. Seek Purpose is a community that supports recovery, healing, and spiritual growth. We believe that sharing our stories can greatly impact our communities and collective action can impact the world. So stop scrolling and start listening, will ya? Hi friends, I'm Suzanne. And this is Seek Purpose, the podcast. We are so excited to have Amanda here today. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Such an honor. Coming. Very grateful. Um, Before we get started with your story, do you want to just introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. I am Amanda and I am a woman in recovery. I have been sober since April 17th, 2019. And I first got involved in recovery um, in the fall of 2017. So I've had some experience, but my sobriety date's April 17th, 2019. Mm. We're so so excited to have you. And also uh, we have to tell everybody that You've got to check out Amanda. She makes these cute. You're still you're still doing that, right? The beanies, <laughs> the little beanies. Yes, I do that. It's like um, it's a healthy hobby of mine. I'm a huge advocate, like especially once I got sober, um, to finding things that I can do to fill my time. Because I remember when I first got sober, like the days were so long, and I used to do all these things when I was like young before. I guess the fear of the world took over, like just finding joy and like being creative and painting and knitting and stuff. My mom had taught me at a young age. So as soon as I got sober, it was like a goal of mine to take it on. So I just do it for fun and I love donating them and giving them away. And it's McQueenie's beanies and their cable net. And they just, they make me really happy just to be able to do that. I just, I, I have to be busy doing something and I find it's very therapeutic. I remember last year you donated to toques to or beanies to the moms in recovery that we did a sponsorship for for Christmas yeah it's so cute my, I, and my little daughter has two I've got a matching one with me and her yeah <laughs> you know it does more for me probably than anything because I, I truly love doing them so mm-hmm. so yeah it's that. actually really great because uh, I saw you and you were here a few I guess about a month ago and you were knitting I was, yeah, for um, my girlfriend's daughter. I was making her a hat, so I just finished it. And I actually just got some personalized tags, so it's good. Did you ever all... that was going to be you? Like you would, like in your party days and everything, that you'd be sitting there knitting oh the last first? Girl, let me tell you, when I used to drink, I used to try knitting. And then I would wake up, like hungover, and I would see, and there would just be messes of messes of stitches. And it was like an entire night not only wasted on drinking but like I couldn't even complete a project so talk about wasted time so yeah it just it feels really good to it just I don't know I just I like myself more now because I'm like I can actually do something and I'm proud of the product I create and I know it's just like a beanie or something like that or even a painting but I can do it and I can complete it and, and feel proud of it and be like see this is this is who this is what you love to do and drinking like block that you know what I mean or using or whatever so it, it feels amazing I do love it I'm going to keep doing it and keep hopefully growing and trying new things and yeah I love it I love it I want to thank you because honest to God you don't know this yet I want to share it with you now when you came 
and I, my mom's a knitter and my nan's a knitter and we all, my sisters and I always joke and think, oh, somebody's got to learn to knit. And I know how to knit. It's just been so long. And I've been wanting to try and get back involved and seeing yeah. you so calming and saying that, you know, how much you love being creative. I'm like, so that Monday I went to my mom's and I go, mom, I want to knit. So I actually started a blanket since that time. That's amazing. So I thank you because oh. now I have to agree that I sit and I knit and it is soothing and it's calming and I'm making this incredible blanket, although it's $20 a flip and roll of wool. And my and husband's like, it's going to be a thousand dollar blanket. <laughs> it's going to be like a thousand dollar blanket. I swear to God. I mean, it's terrible, but anyways, it's uh, so thank you. But it's handmade, right? And yeah. like, would you have ever had the mental capacity to do that prior to like having this persona no. that we have now, right? Like you never, like I never would have been able to do anything like this. Yeah. All when my like, We're just living to like be gone. Right. Mm -hmm. Totally. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Always learning. So <laughs> thank you. After all these years, I never tried knitting until what, how many years sober I am now. <laughs> so, <thanks. Long> time. <laughs> and we want to hear, uh, for our listeners out there, uh, tell us about your story and sure. how, you know, what happened and how you, uh, came into recovery and how you're seeking purpose in your recovery journey today. So, sure. um, okay. So, <clears throat> Um, I, you know how they say like hindsight is 2020, 20, right? So it's like only by getting sober and like really looking back, was I able to kind of see where the path kind of went wrong for me, where I started to get blocked from that purpose, from that connection, right? From what was intended to be like wholesome, good, joyful life for me. Um, and it was fear, like fear really detoured me into a really, really scary, suffocating place. So I definitely grew up in like a normal household, like from the outside, it was like a nuclear family, like good family dynamics. Um, I had the most amazing loving mother in the entire world. Like I swear to God, like without my mom, like I don't even like, she is my everything. Um, she, I call her oxygen because I had this really angry father who always made me feel like I was so unwelcome. Um, eggshells throughout my entire life when he was a part of it and it was pretty traumatizing like I remember just being a kid and hearing the garage door come up because he'd come home from work and we'd all scatter to our rooms because it was just everyone was just always afraid of him like if something broke it was just like scary like everything was just scary and you don't really know what that feeling is at a young age you're just kind of like always tense and like you're you're so much weight is in your throat like even as I talk about it now like I, I still have memories right so I began to have this overwhelming fear that you know, it would start cropping up more and more, you know, naturally. And often it showed up when it, you know, it came to making friends at school or, or performing and completing tasks. Um, and I always felt afraid and unwelcome. And, uh, you know, therefore I started people pleasing at like a very unhealthy age. Cause I just had no comfort with myself. Like I just felt, unless I was just like with my mom or something, like anytime I was out of the house or whatever, like I was just, or my dad was there, like I was just always scared. So I knew he was a very angry person, but, you know, as I got older, I sort of started to understand, like, I think for financial reasons, my mother, you know, sort of felt stuck with him. And she also had that, you know, guilt, like, I don't want to like leave him and then separate the household. It was a different dynamics and generation back in the eighties and nineties. Right. And I actually still see that with some of my girlfriends, like they're in these really unhealthy marriages and very unhappy, but they stay for financial reasons because it's easier in their head. Like, you know, like, to leave would be scarier, right? So 
from a very young age, like I'll never forget her in my bedroom being like, you know, never depend on a man for money. Like she just always wanted me to succeed on my own and be super independent, like be a rich man myself. Like you just take care of you. You don't depend on a single person. And, you know, that was the fear and like that, that talking that gave me that gasoline that sort of just took my fear into the future, right? Like I was like, oh my God, like, okay, I have to do everything on my own, right? And so to compensate this fear, I almost became like a student workaholic and overthinker and overworrier. And an overachiever to avoid criticism. Like, I remember I could never do public speaking. I was just always so scary. And I and I was always a very good kid. Like, I never, uh, like, you know, sometimes in recovery, you'll hear people get involved with, like, substances at a younger age. That was, I never had time for that. I had to get good grades. So, you know, I went through many struggles as a child. And I had a hard time feeling loved and wanted, you know, mostly with friends and, like, people that were, that were close to me. Um, you know, that fed this fear and pushed me to be even more independent and selfish and fearful, right? Because the, the scared, more scared I was, the more selfish I got because I had to do all this stuff for me because I didn't want this to happen. Um, and uh, yeah, it, but I ended up getting into university. I think in my high school class, there was like, <clears throat> you know, four students who got into UBC and I got in on a scholarship. So that was like, okay, this is like the first thing, like I'm going to do this. And I, you know, I went through university and I was couch surfing because my parents finally ended up getting a divorce, but um, I couldn't stay at the house with my dad. And at this time I still wasn't drinking. I wasn't partying, even though I was 19, like I still was like, I have to get through university because I have to be able to support myself. Um, so I landed my uh, first secure cushy job. And from there I began my career, um, which was like a huge important stepping stone. Um, but it also started to suffocate my life because my fear only got worse. Like I would be at work and there'd be closed door conversations. And I would, you know, like be so terrified that they were talking about me and my performance, or I would cry during performance reviews before they'd even start. Like I would just start crying because I just assumed the absolute worst. So it was around this time that I started drinking, I would say, but it was like manageable or normal. And, um, I could function like it, it didn't consume me. It was a social thing. It was a weekend thing. I used to love getting off work after my cushy job at my brokerage firm with my university degree and picking out like an Australian white wine. You know what I mean? Like, Ooh, prospect winery. I wouldn't even look at percentages then. Like I was just super excited for just to have a glass of wine after work because like I had arrived, like my very first job, it was like lower salary, but still I was living on my own and I had, you know, you'd think like, okay, you're living on your own. Your dad's gone. Like you're supporting yourself. Like this should, this should be okay. It didn't like, I didn't know how to, I didn't like this, the fear was just getting worse. So, um, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, I just remember, okay. So drinking, it would calm my anxiety. <clears throat> and then I would continue to still go to work and it was fine. And I still had this ambition to climb the corporate ladder. And what happened is, is as I climbed this corporate ladder, you know, I ended up getting a better job and a better position at another company. And then the fear and anxiety got worse. Um, so I would start drinking, uh, um, like when I'd get home from work and stuff, and then it would just, it would just make the fear and anxiety better. Cause I would, now I'd have this new job and I'd have to start training again and all this stuff. And I started to correlate this this relationship between numbing out and alcohol and like fear and anxiety going away. <clears throat> um, 
And fear had just been such an unpleasant and unwelcome emotion that I just always wanted to remove it as quickly as possible. And as soon as I sort of found that alcohol helped that, uh, you know, the quicker it went away. And I, I didn't care about the long-term consequences. Like I didn't even know there was long-term consequences at the time. Like I was just digging this hole, but my need was immediate. Right. Um, so I keep kind of sort of, you know, looking at my resume and nothing was ever good enough. Like I needed something better, another position. I needed a higher position, a better company. Okay. I want to travel. I want this title, like building, 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 never at peace and never happy. And just, always just, yeah, it just was chaos. It was gross. There was just so much restlessness and like toxicity. Um, and during this time I met a man and I got engaged and that was like such a secondary thing. Like it was like, it was just like a thing you did. It was never like a joyful thing. And I would say the epicenter of, uh, where my alcoholism had crossed that line uh, and it was super quick for me. Like I was a bad drinker for a few, few years or, you know, abuse substances. And it was when I found out, uh, <clears throat> that I was pregnant and I was having a baby. And I remember looking at that pregnancy test being like, holy crap. Like I have to step away from my career now. How the hell am I going to raise this child and step away from my career? If I step away for a year and go on maternity leave, I can't control anything that goes on at the workplace. Like I can't, I can't keep my, you know, relationships going. Like someone else is going to come in. What if they do better than me? And I remember thinking, how am I not going to drink for nine months? You know what I mean? Like I still, I wasn't at the point where I was a total alcoholic yet, but there was enough there where it was like you were, I was in a huge gray area. Like it could have gone either way. And that's when I look back and I'm like, that was the epicenter. So I had my baby. I had to step away from my job, obviously. And I remember just being so unhappy on maternity leave, which is, you know, it's a shitty thing to admit. Like you're, you're with a baby. You're supposed to be like cherishing these moments together. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about how I want to drink because I'm so bored and what's going on at work. And I'm still checking my work email and stuff like that. And of course I, you know, I held it together. Okay at some points, but, you know, I would say around when she was about six months old is when it took off. And, um, I would start drinking in the day. Like I'd be watching Thomas, the trainer, Sesame street. And I'd be like, this is so boring. And I would just miss like adult conversations and talking about deadlines and, and subject matter experts and all this fun stuff at my job. And so I'd start drinking. I started drinking in the day. And then my, my, husband would come home and he wouldn't know that I'd been drinking and I'd ask him to bring me a bottle of wine and he would. So like at this point I'm drinking like two bottles of wine a day. Um, and just abusing substances. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden when I was, when my daughter was around nine months old, I started experiencing withdrawals and I didn't know what alcohol withdrawals were. Like, I didn't know what it meant to be physically addicted to alcohol, that when you stop drinking, your body has a physical reaction. That is the most unpleasant thing that I think I've ever experienced. I would take labor over the withdrawals I had in my later stages, alcoholism any day. And what those um, withdrawals look like for me at this stage uh, was insane shaking. I thought I was having a heart attack. I, uh, I couldn't even keep water down. Um, and, but it was like, milder, like it gets, it gets worse. And then I remember calling my ex-husband being like, you need to take me to the hospital. Like 
something is is wrong with me. Like, I, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. Like, I don't know what's wrong. And, um, you know, I wasn't honest at the hospital. I went there and they, you know, they were like, oh, it's just whatever and checked out. And, you know, I, I, I continued on drinking. I continued on drinking and then it started causing problems uh, in my marriage. And I thought, okay, if I get another job, so I went back to work and uh, I went back to work and I did not look good either. Like I was not refreshed. I looked bloated. My eyes and skin were bad. Like my skin was red. My eyes started to be a little yellow. Um, and I thought the solution was, okay, well, I'm going to get another job because I'm just stressed out because of my job. Like I just, I missed a year. All these changes have happened that I have no idea what's going on. So I get another job and move up you know, whatever. And I, you know, I always use the fact that I could get a better position and a better job as the reason why I wasn't an alcoholic because alcoholics don't get rewarded for that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, my personal life is falling apart. I remember going to the petting zoo with my ex-husband and, you know, I would, I would bring coolers like in the morning and he would be like, you're just always looking to be wasted. Like you're never just want to be buzzed anymore. And at that point I had manipulated him to the point where he thought it was okay to be drinking like this casually. Cause it was the weekend and I worked really hard, you know, and in that <clears throat> my drinking continued to progress. And in three years, I started to exhibit <clears throat> late stages alcoholism. Um, but I was so determined to keep my career that I would find jobs at like these cushy corporate companies downtown where I could work from home a lot. So what happened is, is like, I would continue my habit and um, the fear was just getting, the, the fear was still there, except I was drunk so much that I couldn't even like decipher what I was feeling anymore. I guess I would say like I had literally annihilated like real emotions. So it was like, I was either drunk or withdrawing or detoxing or hungover. Um, but I could cruise control my job really well because I'd been doing it for a while. I'm, I'm in business development. So like I could, and I was good at talking to people, like not on the phone, because I would know that I was drunk, but like over typing and stuff until, <clears throat> you know, um, it just didn't work anymore. Like I, eventually it just stopped working. Like I, I stopped functioning. And all those things that I was really scared of, you know, losing my job, losing my, you know, my security, like my emotional security of my husband and all that stuff it all went away anyways. Right. So, uh, fear at some point controlled my life. Right. Um, and it was just like this vicious cycle. Like I couldn't stop. I was terrified all the time seeking numbness, which led to more drinking to stop the shakes, which led to more fear. I remember I would wake up and I would have to drink to even open my work email. Cause I'd be so scared to see what was on there because I wasn't performing anymore. I was blacking out on conference calls. Um, um, and everything came crumbling down. And now I was living my fears as my crane, my career came to a halt. Performance reviews went down the tube and I was just seeking oblivion. Like I wouldn't even say that I really cared at this point. Like I, I just, I had reached oblivion and I just wanted to stay there. Um, I started going through empties when I ran out, I ended up on EI, my, uh, ex-husband and I separated, uh, I was living on my own, barely seeing my daughter. I mean, I still saw her sometimes, but yeah, I just, I was rummaging through my recycling, going through empties, just so desperate for anything. It was the height of, I don't even know who that person is. You know what I mean? Like, and whenever I stopped drinking, like even for like half an hour, like I would experience insane withdrawals, like hand tremors. Uh, I had trouble walking. I couldn't stay balanced. I couldn't even see 
Like I literally was blinded. Like I could not even stand up to like go grab water. That's how bad, like it just had decimated my body. I had retching, I had excessive sweating. So I didn't know how to stop and I didn't, I couldn't keep going because it was literally like I was dying. Like I, it was killing me to keep going, but if I didn't drink, I was going to die. Like that's how, that's the, the point that I ended up at. Right. And I was drinking against my will. Um, and I ended up in the darkest places disease can take you. And it's in the depths of hell of your mind where you're just so hopeless. And, um, Honestly, that was the best place to be because let me tell you, that blank slate of losing everything, oh, it was so easy to surrender. I had nothing else. Like I had nothing to be like, well, I still have this. I still have this. I can't do that. I had nothing. Like I was just me, myself and my sick, sick self. And I had this girlfriend who had this husband who was in recovery and she just said it changed his life. And I was finally willing to listen to her. And she had been sort of like hinting in for a few few months like listen you should try a recovery meeting and then I was finally ready to go and I was like okay like and I was drunk on my couch I was out of booze and I just I wasn't even drunk anymore like it didn't even do anything to me and I was like okay like I'm I'm willing to go so so uh I went to my first recovery meeting I think I was like three days sober and I was well enough to walk and I remember I wore like a pencil skirt and I like dressed up and I had so much shame before going because I thought I was better than everyone there, right? Like, I mean, I, I'm in a, you know, I'm downtown in my corporate boardrooms flying to Seattle. Meanwhile, I'm like throwing up in the stairwell and like, oh, like puking up all over like these fancy sinks and like the guest bathroom at my offices, right? But I'm too good for a recovery meeting. Um, I even missed a flight one time from Seattle. Cause I was just so, my withdrawals were so bad. I couldn't even make the flight. Like I just, oh my God, I just, and I went to that meeting and it was the very first place I heard the truth because I had been in denial and lying for so long, unwilling to admit that I was terrified, that I had a problem, that I was sick, that I could not do this on my own, that I had just so much shame. And then I remember hearing all these people speak and I was like, just like me but they're happy they're not drinking but they're happy and they are they have great jobs and and they are they're it doesn't identify like they don't even like they're just happy like I just I had no idea like I was just so blown away and um it, it wasn't enough for me to stay sober just going to that meeting though I will say like for me like I was like okay I'm going to study a recovery, the recovery literature. Like I will just do it like I did with university and like every job I've had that didn't work either. I needed to like find somebody that had done this work before me and take me through the recovery program. And, you know, for me, that was the, the 12 steps, right. And it was a 12 step recovery program. And in the first three steps, what had happened is I developed this relationship with this higher power. And I remember being very uncomfortable with God. And like one of my favorite things I heard on a speaker tape was like, like God scares you away from recovery. Like booze will scare you back. And I just remembered that because it did like every time I would go out or drink, like I would just be like, Hey, you need to go back. You need to go back. And I started to like, cause I relapsed a few times in the beginning. So I started developing this relationship with this higher power and I had a really hard time praying. So I started like this internal dialogue. And from there, <clears throat> I started <clears throat> journaling it because I was like, okay, well now I'm getting more comfortable with it. So I'm going to journal it. And then I started doing these spoken words and actually reading these prayers out. And 
I started to feel better and not even that, like I was staying sober. Like I remember getting to 11 days sober and just being like, oh my goodness. Like I had think I could maybe get to three days before. And at 11 days sober, like I hadn't, hadn't even known what it was like just to like wake up and not feel like, like I was going to die, like from withdrawals. Like I had no physical withdrawals, like really anymore. Like I, my body was still adjusting and it, it took a few months too, to be honest, but like the, the worst of the worst were done. And then, um, and then steps four, four through seven, um, were life-changing because I, that's when my attitude began to shift because, uh, I started doing, um, having this relationship with myself that started to change, which is what it was. And I, I remember writing down my moral inventory and I remember that this was when my attitude began to shift because what I saw on that inventory was like very, very little to do with alcohol. And it had a lot to do with attitude, fear, and emotion, like nothing to do with alcohol, attitude, fear, and emotion. And that is when the story that I had told myself about everything that had happened to me, how I got to where I was, blah, blah, blah. That's when it began to change. And I began to have closure and peace. And especially like telling that to somebody and have their guidance and stuff like that. Like it just brought me so much closer to like this universal, like loving God um, or higher power. And um, higher power can be kind of a touchy subject, but that is the reason I'm sober it's because I was able to remove these blocks within myself to get closer to it right and I was so blocked before like my god I was a mess so then in steps eight to nine I, I got to go and make I remember I never wanted to go make amends to people I was like there's absolutely no way like my cousin is like oh my god she's like my sister in my life and I remember being so scared to go and make amends to her because I was just really awful to her during her wedding and I remember I saw her and I was so scared. And then finally, when I saw her, it was like the most beautiful therapeutic thing to like amend that relationship and, and, and take, um, acknowledge like everything I'd done. And it was fine. Like I, there was like no pride involved. It was like the most beautiful, humili like humbling thing. Um, and I would say that what this program has done for me, it's like, it's just shown me like it's, <clears throat> it is a program of action and it's not a program of thought. So anytime I kind of Kind of trail off a bit. I just know that I have to do more work and um oh my gosh I'm sorry one second sorry so that's life on life's terms isn't it <laughs> your dog's losing it um <laughs> so I would say like for me um I'm not afraid anymore like it's really cool not to be afraid of life like my resume like doesn't define me I don't even identify with like that part of like my life, like I'm just Amanda. Like I got to like recover myself. Like I am not this person who's terrified, like where this bill is coming from, where is this? And, um, you know, I think that <clears throat> fear is such like a universal experience and like everybody feels it, but very few people talk about it, right? And like, we rarely open up about like, I just, I never really opened up about what really scared me. Um, but everyone is scared all the time I feel. And we're never really given coping mechanisms like on how to deal with it. Right. So I just masked it with, if I got like a, a better position or a better job or, or this and that, then, you know, then it's like proving that, okay, that, that fear is not real because I can still do this. And I ended up, all my fears came true. And the truth is like, I was never free from it. I just, I, yeah. And now I have a program to like, that's, that just brings me so much peace. And like, I don't know, like I would, it's hard to put into words what this 
what recovery has given me. Cause I, I used to be very sick. I came to a recovery meeting. I did some suggested work and now my life is amazing. I have this beautiful relationship with my daughter who I am so grateful for. I have the best career that I've ever had in my entire life. It's like, not that that matters anymore, but it's like, I've had more doors open for me from being sober and having this weakness and disease than I had pretending that I had it all before. Um, and like, I can feel all these things. Like I feel fear all the time, but I like survive because I just, I know that there's something else guiding me. And um, I know you guys have heard this story before, but I have to share it. It's about the account executive and the child. And it's like my favorite thing in the entire world. And I heard it on a speaker tape, but there's this account executive and he wants to get a bunch of work done. And he has this child who's like driving him nuts. And he's like, oh my God, like, I just, I need to do some work, son. Like, uh, here, I'm going to give you a task to do while I do some work. So he takes this map of the world and he rips up the map and he gives it to his son. And he's like, okay, son, go put this map of the world together. You know, hoping it's going to take his son a couple hours to do it. And when you're done, we'll, you'll come back in here and we'll play. So account executive goes to work, sends his child on his way. And like within minutes, the son comes back map of the world is put back together perfectly. And the account executive is like, Oh my God, like, how did you do this so quickly? And he's like, well, dad, it's really easy. And he shows him on the other side of the map is a photo of a man. It's a picture of a man. He says, if you put the pieces of the man back together, the whole world falls into place. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was in so many pieces, like so many pieces. I didn't even know where to begin when I went to that first recovery meeting. Um, and I was in pieces for a while until I truly surrendered and accepted what I had to do and became completely willing and honest. And now it's like those pieces of myself have been put back together and my world has fallen into place and it is like literally a fairy tale. And like, what brings me purpose is like, is just staying sober. Like if I, it's like the bottom of the pyramid, like sobriety is number one, I have to do this. And then everything else can build upon that. Like the resume, the job, the car relationships, that's over there. Mm -hmm. I don't worry about that. This is the most important thing. And if I do this, then God will give me that stuff if I need it. And that is what brings me purpose now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a wild ride, but that's, that's just a little bit about me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, girl. I'm Whoa. So to share that story. Holy cow. That's so cool. Sorry about the, <laughs> oh no, that's, that's, that's all, that's all good. I loved hearing your puppy. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Uh, I wanted, you know, you mentioned that you had some sobriety and then, um, you know, you had a little slip, you, you, you struggled in a little in the beginning, but uh, touch on, on that a little bit, because I think that's um, what many of us have gone through in recovery journey is, you know, you get so many amazing things change, so many things happen in our life. And then boom, we start kind of drifting around a little bit. And I think that was a big part of your story. Yeah. You touch on that. So I had like a year and a half of sobriety and I was like, I've done two sets of steps of recovery steps. And I go to my recovery meetings. Um, and I didn't really know what it meant to continue to do the work. Like I just didn't like, I, I, like I started to get like, they, they talk about these promises and recovery, these things that come true. They started to come true for me real quick. And I got a little cocky because those old behaviors come back. And so I, uh, they talk about in our AA letter or sorry, not recovery literature or substance literature <clears throat> that, you know, you're going to be without defense 
you're going to have no defense against like the first thing that you intake, right? What, what, whatever your drug of choice is. And that was my experience. I remember um, I had stopped doing the work. I, I was still going to meetings, but like, you know, you kind of can go to meetings and you're not doing the work. You're not living this, this spiritual recovery program. Um, and I wasn't. And I remember opening my fridge and I was like, I'm going to get wine. And they talk about like, if you have these thoughts, there's things you can do. You can call somebody, you know, you can go to a recovery meeting, you can call a recovery phone number. Um, but that none of that is like a mental blank spot. They talk about that. I went through a mental blank spot. I don't even remember how I got to the liquor store. All I know is I went there, I picked up wine. I was out for five days. Uh, this disease of addiction is a progressive disease. I had been sober for a year and a half and I drank more in those five days than I ever have in my entire life. Um, and I couldn't stop. I, I couldn't stop. I just, I, I totally thought in my head that it would be fine. I had that insane idea. Like it'll be fine. I've been sober for a year and a half totally disregarding the only reason my life is like so amazing right now and that I have all of not even like I didn't even have my old life anymore I had this new amazing life that I just didn't even just I just had this insane idea like didn't even care after five days I was like I I just I was done I went I I thank god it's like god shows you your bottom before you reach it like I didn't lose anything except for like I was very, very sick, obviously, for a few days. I went through really extreme withdrawals again. I was out for five days. I went through about, I would say, four days of physical withdrawals. And I would say the sixth day <clears throat> was the absolute worst. Like after all of like the, the physical withdrawals had gone away, the insomnia, I remember I didn't sleep for seven days. I couldn't walk. I couldn't keep water down. I'd lost so much weight. My hair was splitting just from five days of dr like drinking. Uh, the sixth day was the worst because it was the shame. I was so ashamed. Like, how could I have been so stupid? I was so hard on myself. I couldn't even look people in the eye at recovery meetings after I announced I came back because I was so upset with myself. And I look back now and I'm like the most natural thing in the world for somebody like me, like the most natural thing for me to do is to drink or use, right? For me, my drug of choice is drinking. Uh, most natural thing for me to do is consume alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, and I went out for five days and I came back like that. That takes courage. Like I had to like, uh, that takes willpower, especially when you've had it, like you've been sober for so long. Like I don't try to compare myself to others, but like, I know people stay out for a lot longer and I just wish I would have been kinder to myself. And I totally get why people stay out for longer too. It's because it's the most natural thing for them to do. It's part of like the most natural part of their lifestyles for them to drink. Like my brain just always wants alcohol. Like I wake up, I want alcohol. And I just wish I would have been so much nicer to myself because I caused myself so much depression and, and sadness. Like I'll just never forget that day six. And I remember this girl saying to me, you never have to feel this way again. You never have to feel this depressed and sad again. And I haven't, I haven't, I literally let myself feel it all. <laughs> and I started doing the work again and I stay in the middle. Now I stay in the middle. Like I said, like I stay over here, everything else that's over there. I stay with my recovery. So important. I just mm -hmm. do the work. I help others. I stay connected. I I speak about what I used to be like and, and in a very honest way, not because I was a loser or like an idiot or dumb, but because I was very sick and I didn't know 
how to get better. I didn't have the solution. I just was so sick. And now I'm so grateful and I hope I don't relapse again. I hope I don't flip up. I know what to do to prevent that, but life, you know, throws a lot of curveballs. But what I will say is, um, this program of recovery in the last, I've experienced so much turmoil in the last year. Like I'm filing for divorce, uh, which is so mentally exhausting to go through like all the forms. You're just like, Oh my God, like. I just want to like, just be done with it. <laughs> yeah. I just want to like binge watch Netflix and like eat a muffin. Like, I don't want to do these forms. <laughs> um, and it just, it brings back a lot of emotions and stuff too. Right. But it, it, it's just like, you know, there's so much that happens in life too. Like aside from that, you know, um, I had a friend that passed away in May and it was really, really hard. And, but this, this recovery program, what it does is like, even though life can get like really icky and gross sometimes, like there's all these different seasons to life, right? Like some seasons are like beautiful and amazing and others are like really gross and ugly. But the, if you do this recovery program, like you'll have enough peace in your heart, even when like things are falling apart around you to like lay your head down at night and fall asleep sober. Mm-hmm. And I never had that before. Like my world was just always on fire. I was always on fire and like the smallest thing was just like a nightmare. Like, it's just so nice to have patience and be present now and just not lose it and just be able to communicate with people in a proper way and have really wonderful relationships where I'm not this like selfish person. Like I listen. I never used to listen to people. Like I actually ask people like, and I'm interested in what they have to say. Like I remember before, like I was just always waiting for them to finish. I could be like, okay, but now my turn. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a good feeling. So yeah. So relapse does happen. It's, it's totally natural. And I just, I wish I would have been more kind to myself, you know? Um, I think you hit, I think you hit it with, you said something in your share that I recognize hearing from being in recovery from, and I've heard it within myself too, over the years, I've been called on it uh, when I'm in the middle, when I'm not, but it's like, we come and get put a plug in the jug, so to speak. And then we realize, oh, it's actually not the alcohol and it's not the other substances. Oh, okay. And then we kind of work on those other things in a recovery program. And then life comes, the promises happen. Our life comes back into a beautiful, freaking amazing fairy tale world. Yeah. Fairy tale. And then I really believe that all of a sudden it's like, because that was planted so early, on understanding, um, oh, it's not my drinking and my drugging, it's all this other stuff. So then we start healing that other stuff. Then we actually start thinking, well, now I'm all good. Yeah. I think, I think, I think having a drink should be okay. Like okay. not really understanding that, um, you know, I mean, some people, there's controversy out there saying it's not a disease. Uh, it's not my opinion. I believe that I have a disease and and I'm too scared to figure out if it's not. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, they did it. Don't do it. So, yeah, exactly. That's why I love hearing. I was told at recovery meetings very early on, um, out of all the messages, if I want to chit chat and go to the bathroom and get up and blah, 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 and you go do that, girl. But the minute that someone says they're new or coming back, you freaking listen up. Mm-hmm. You put that cotton batten in your mouth and you open up both ears and everything else to listen. And I've oh. done 
that come in and it's the same story over and over and over and over again. And I'm grateful that I, I have listened to those stories the most. It's very, yeah. It just takes you back. Right. Cause life gets really good and we have a way as human beings, like blocking out how bad it was, but on, I'm not, I'm not even lying. Like sometimes like, you know, like I'll have trouble sleeping or whatever. Like I'm a little restless and I have these moments where I'm just like, I'm not shaking anymore. And like, um, convulsing, like I'm not withdrawing, like, mm-hmm. cause that was my life for years, just withdrawing. It was either oblivion or withdrawals. And like, I just, I even go back to that state of just simple gratitude. Like I'm like at peace, like I'm still right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I might have this stuff going on, but like, at least I'm still. And <clears throat> I would say like, I remember one of the reasons I went out too, is like, I remember coming into recovery being really ashamed that I couldn't drink anymore. And mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons I started toying with my brain. It's like, well, maybe I can. Like, I still, I guess I hadn't conceded to my innermost self. Like, I knew that I had a problem with drinking. I just don't think I fully understood, like, what that meant to be powerless over something. Like, so I think I had a lot of shame of the fact that I couldn't do something because I was so capable of doing all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. How can I not handle this, like, thing? And I remember my mom used to say to me, like, you know, you're never going to find love or your purpose at the bottom of a bottle. And now it's crazy to be on the other side. And now I'm no longer ashamed. In fact, I'm quite proud of the fact that I'm a sober woman that I get able to. And you went to the bottom of the bottle and you found your purpose. I did. I did. (laughs) Damn. I did. I did. I found it. Right. And I, uh, I just kind of had to look at it a bit differently. Um, but now it's like, I'm no longer ashamed. I think a lot of people come in and they're ashamed of the fact like they're like, oh, I can't do this. Like I can't drink. Now it's like, literally it's opened so many more doors for me being in recovery. Like I'm very, like, I wouldn't, I know everyone has like <clears throat> their own comfort level and stuff, but I have a very amazing director and manager. I work at like an IT consulting corporation. Um, they're so supportive. They like, I've told a few people that I'm in recovery. Like I, you know, sometimes when work gets really crazy, I'll need to go to some, you know, more recovery meetings or whatever. It's never been an issue. Like the stuff I was so ashamed of. Now I recognize that you can't do that at a lot of places. Like I understand that, but I don't know, like for the girl who used to like black out on like global conference calls. And like, I remember missing my first day at a job once. Cause I was drunk. Like it feels really cool to be honest about it and be sober and like be able to make these deadlines. And I've only had you know and now honestly like I was talking about like how I used to cry with performance reviews and like closed door conversations I've had like constructive criticism in my tenure of sobriety at my current career like position in my company and it's like I I I'm fine like I can take it I can be like okay like it's it's no longer this like horrific thing that I'm being punished having to hear how horrible I am as a human being Mm. like doesn't bring back that trauma from my childhood like I can just be like oh like it's just like it's literally what most people have it be is like oh yeah it's constructive criticism of my job okay yeah I'll do that whereas before it was like life or death for me I was like oh my god I don't know it's just like I'm so much more at peace like I can't even tell you like how much love I have in my heart and like how quiet my brain is and like I don't even have like a heck of a lot going on but I, I mean obviously I do like I have a very busy full beautiful life but it's not like I'm a millionaire, you know, traveling all over the world. Like, you know, yeah. I'm still a single mom. Yeah, yeah. Raising my kid, working full time, like, you know, 
paying bills, but like, oh, just, yeah. I just, I wish I could stay this age forever and like this and stay sober. Like, that's what I want. <laughs> it's but I hear it gets better. I hear it gets better. <laughs> um, it's really funny how like that word powerless, it gets a lot of people, I think, where they think, oh, I'm powerless over alcohol. Like it sounds like a downer, but I know for myself, it was so freeing. It was so freeing to know it wasn't something I can control because I spent so long just thinking I was a fuck up. Like I just can't get my yeah. shit together. So to learn that I was powerless, I found freedom out of that. And I know some people have a hard time with that word and they, they think it's like a negative, but I call myself an alcoholic and I call myself powerless over alcohol substances, a lot of things, people, places and things. Yeah. Um, but I find so much freedom in that. And so much. you never relapsed, right, Brooke? You not yet. Like, no, well, not in recovery. Um, I've had bouts of recovery without a program where I had like a year while I was pregnant that I was sober and then wow. had a relapse. Um, so I did that twice trying to do it on my own, but since I've been in a program, I haven't, I haven't, uh, relapsed on alcohol <laughs> or yeah. drugs, but I mean, it's really easy to pick up bad old behaviors and, and character defects and, you know, shopping, eating TV shows, all that kind of stuff can get me pretty spiritually sick. So I've been, yeah, working really I know. Hard. And do you, uh, I remember, yeah, like even this summer was like the first time I think like I felt everything like full throttle. It took me a while to like sort of de-thaw, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if other people have gone through that. I had like a thawing process. I remember going through a stage like in my recovery where <clears throat> it was really, like I wasn't so much fearful, but it was like all these emotions that I had suppressed had come up for so long like I was in cruise control I was just always drunk and I think that was a that was a struggle for me too and that's where I was super grateful that I had the solution because I just remember being very erratic and emotional about a lot of things like I'd get into a conflict with somebody and I'd be super upset or you know something wouldn't work out with something and I'm just the more you work this this program of recovery if you have this disease like I'm so glad I qualify I truly think like this this has opened more doors for me. I know I keep saying that, but like I have a better life today because of having this disease mm -hmm. than had I never had it to begin with. I, I just, I truly feel that I have so many tools. Um, but yeah, the more I do it, the more courage I have. I never used to have like a lot of courage. Like it's weird. Like I have courage now. Like I can just like face stuff. Like it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's so amazing. I just, I'm so grateful. <laughs> Sorry, I'm rambling. No, it's I think, uh, yeah, I think um, when we say we're alcoholic, like you were saying, Brooke, or powerlessness, and that could be so terrifying for so many people. And even when I used to hear it, when I first kind of got sober, I'd be like, what a loser. Like, why are they introducing themselves? Like, hi, my yeah. name, I'm an alcoholic. Like, um, and, you know, all the memes on TV that, that, you know, back in those days, they had like mad TV. They always make these funny gestures and poke at saying that. However, I get it now because I have an inability to see how crazy and insane my disease is because look at the crazy things that, you know, we do and are using, like who does that? Oh my God. I know. And, that, and now that I'm sober, I know like my crazies are still can be there. And what I find is every time I say that, hi, you know, my, I'm Sam, an alcoholic or tell people I'm an alcoholic. It's a reminder that I need to hear that. My disease needs to hear the fact that that is who I am because I don't have a self-reflection. That's part of my brain um, isn't there. Like 
the normal person who doesn't have a problem with drugs or alcohol or addiction. So I like and empower the fact that now I do have to say that just to identify, not that it, you know, I'm not going around, you know, people are going, hey, I'm so-and-so and I have cancer or hey, I'm so-and-so, I have diabetes, <laughs> but their disease isn't got to do with their thinking for me. Yeah. And I think it's that like, for so long, I, I would yell at anybody who said I didn't have a problem. Like I remember one Halloween, I couldn't even make it to uh, like Halloween. We had like a Halloween dinner where we were all going to watch like a scary movie and whatever. Uh, this is when I was married. I couldn't even make it to the dinner. Like they were already, I remember hearing them whisper, like we should give her water. We should give her water. And I would just be like, you guys are crazy. It's Halloween. Like I'm just having fun. I was in denial for so long. Like, that was just one of many examples. I, I could never admit that I had a problem ever. And the first time I did, I, and it wasn't even the first meeting I said it. It's the first meeting I was so very scared. But once I finally had that acceptance and started saying, my name is Amanda and I'm an alcoholic. I just got goosebumps. Like, it's like the most freeing thing because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, like, and yeah, for me, like I had literally like obliterated my entire life. And, and I, I think a lot of people are scared to start from nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they'll be like, I'm not even working. Like I need to get a job first. I need to figure out this. Like I can't start a going to recovery. I think it's a blessing because you literally have nothing holding you back. I had nothing. It, it was a blessing to lose everything. It was a blessing to lose the marriage, to lose the job, to have to lose the home. It was just the best thing. Cause I had nothing holding me back. Mm -hmm. And it was now it's like, I look on it and it was like this, like little cute bedrock where I'm like, build your life. You know what I mean? Like all of your dark, deepest, darkest fears you were trying to avoid for so long, you had to walk through every single one of them. So I found in my own recovery, like that's brought me freedom from the fears because you live through it. You don't, yeah. if you're in recovery and you're going through your hardest fears and you don't drink over it, all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, I can do this. Like I can get through things I never thought I could get through. And it's, oh my gosh, I know. And it's, uh, yeah. And you know, it, it is obviously humbling, but it also gives us a bit of power too. Right. Especially all being like, I don't know, like being a sober mom too, like, I had a really hard time, like with guilt around my daughter too. Like I had so much guilt. Um, and I did the thing where I bought her lots of presents, especially once I started working again and all this stuff. And, and now it's like such a beautiful thing just to be present with her mm -hmm. and just soak up all that time. And I mean, of course she still drives me nuts sometimes because she's basically me. She's a demanding <laughs> little baby lady. But, um, but yeah, I just, uh, the, the, like the qualities you get from, from this program and from giving up drinking, like patience, mm -hmm. courage, like just these things, like, you know, before it was just like salary promotion. Um, I don't even know, like, that's all I cared about. Now it's like these, these characteristics that are, that are I just value so much. I just I have a question for you because being a single mom and there's lots of, I'm sure other moms out there, even if you're not single, just having kids and you're yeah. newly in recovery, you've got these growing beings of our best selves walking on this planet. <laughs> what, what do you, how, how do you, how are you going to tackle explaining to them or her, uh, or, you know, what would you recommend or, or are you using to help her understand the disease of alcoholism? Well, right now my daughter is seven. So what I've been saying is, is mommy goes to a meeting and she asks what the meetings are. Sometimes I say, that's where I go to get my medicine because mommy used to be very sick. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I, I got sober, you know, when 
Fiona, she was like three, not even. And then I, and then my little slip happened. Right. But she, she wasn't present for that. So she doesn't totally remember. Thank you know, thank God. Um, but I just say, I'm going to get my medicine. And that's what I say. And like, I had a friend who, who, who got very sick and overdosed and she asked about it. And, and then I ended up saying she, he took too much of the wrong medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I sort of explain it. I don't even know if it's the proper way to do it, but that's just what my heart told me to say. And she doesn't, she doesn't totally get it now, but it, it's something that I am going to, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm extremely proud to be a mother in recovery and a sober woman and, and independent and, and not depend on anyone else, but, um, God and, you know, my, my fellowship of people around me that I lean on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is something that I will talk about with her as she gets older. I would love for her to be a part of my sober birthdays and stuff like that. And like last year, she made me cupcakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, she doesn't totally understand it. She just knows that mommy goes to a few places a few times a week to get her medicine. She's so cute. I love those uh, stories you guys do cooking, doing dishes and stuff together. It's so cute. Uh, she's, oh, I love her. And like, I just, I never used to be patient. I remember I used to get anxiety having her. So I'd be like, oh my God, like, what am I going to spend, spend the day doing? Like when I first got sober, days were so long. Like I was like, oh my gosh. Like it felt like an eight hour day felt like 48 hours. So filling that day was very hard. I had a hard time filling it because I had no patience myself. I just wanted it to be done so I could go to sleep. Cause I think I still like, I wasn't totally okay being present and conscious. Like my brain was still rewiring. It took a while, you know, like I think people need to be patient, patient with themselves. Like for me, I was consuming, like, like, honestly, I'm not going to lie. Like two, two fifths a day bottle of wine. Like my brain was messed up in the end and it took a long time for me to normalize um and that's where like you really need to lean on people and I had a really hard time calling people in the beginning like you know they'd ask how my daughter was and how I'm doing and oh I'm fine I had a really hard time opening up and being honest and it and it wasn't because I was I was trying to lie to them it was because I truly just didn't know what I was feeling like I it was all new foreign stuff for me yeah. I would not wish newer recovery on anybody, but it is the journey you need to go through. And it is the best thing that you'll ever do. You know, I would never rob someone of that journey and just get them to like, okay, you're six years sober and you've done this and this and this, like that, that, that was like super important, but it was like, it's just because you're six years sober. Trust me. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <Are> you, <laughs> you definitely feel like you're first coming in many times through sobriety. <laughs> it's totally. Like, and I'm here again. What the hell? Yeah, it's, and you uh, have like you know decades, right? And I'm sure you go through moments too, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wouldn't be Definitely. life without that. Yeah. Um, you talked a lot about that moment of desperation for you, where you lost everything, and it was like the best time for you because that's what helped rebuild your life into what it is today now. Yeah. But was do you think there's anything anyone could have said before that moment that would have maybe got that light bulb in your head, or did you do you think you really needed to reach those? No, goals? I think I needed to people had been trying my ex-husband trying to get me to go to rehab Mm -hmm. a rehab facility and I actually drove there we drove there we checked in and I was like no doing this I'm not ready and then I was ended up coming back home ended up being hospitalized like a second time still wasn't ready did not want to give up drinking knew it was a problem knew I could like but I just wasn't ready it was like I don't know if it was like a last hurrah like a subconscious thing but 
uh, people knew for years that I had a problem before I did, and they had told me, and a lot of people had hesitated to tell me. So they just distanced themselves from me instead, because it was more easier that way. It was too uncomfortable to say like, listen, you know, and I think that's, I'm really glad that we're removing the stigma now around addiction, that more people can talk about it openly. Mm -hmm. Um, cause a few years ago, I don't know. I never, I never felt that way. It just wasn't as apparent. Um, but there was nothing anybody could have said to me until that moment where I was laying on my couch. I, I was just done. I was just done. I just was done. And there was no like big crazy thing that happened where it was like, this happened and they threatened me or whatever. Like I just was, I personally, as Amanda, I was done. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'll just, I'll try it. I cannot keep doing this. I am so sick of being this sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely relate with that. It was the inner turmoil that got to me more than any external things. I had been to deeper depths of addiction in my teen years. Um, But as an adult, like just trying to live with the things I'd done and trying to keep all the secrets and the balls in the air. And it was just like, I can't live like this. Like I literally felt like I deserved to be in jail because I I felt like I murdered someone. Like it was something I couldn't take back. Yeah. Yeah. And like, for me, I, I wanted to die. Like I just wanted to go to sleep forever, but I could not take my own life. Mm -hmm. And I just, in the end, I just wanted to always be asleep. I never wanted to be awake. And that's like, I think was like a turning point for me when I, I just never even wanted to be awake. And so I would just drink as fast as I could. Uh, I wouldn't even sip. I would just chug it until I was passed out. And it it was really, it was, it was horrible. I would not wish it upon anybody. Um, did you ever go through crazy withdrawals? I had like severe panic and anxiety disorder. So I thought that's all that was going on, but I'd end up in the hospital and stuff thinking I was having a panic attack. I'm pretty sure it was withdrawals because hearing people explain what withdrawals are, I'm like, okay, that was it. Like I had like delirium tremens many times and hallucinations, like auditory and visual. I would close my eyes and see dots. And like, I remember... Um, there's very, very few people I told about my withdrawals. One of them was my ex-husband. And he's like, you know, you'd think you'd stop your suffering and just stop drinking. And it's like, even going through the absolute hell and agony, cold Turkey, like I would do cold Turkey. Like I wouldn't go to detox or detox. I would never get like, you know, medical help. I would just, I, I could have died so many times. I should have died. I was having seizures and it still wasn't enough to keep me sober. I was like, no, as soon as like day four, day three rolled around and I was feeling a bit better, I'd start doing that narrative again. Like, you know, it'll be different this time. Like I got Mm -hmm. this. And how could that be a choice? Like I think of people who think of alcoholism is not a disease. And then you hear stories like yours, like no one would freaking choose that. Nobody would like burning your hand on the stove, like every single, like three days being like, okay, you know what I mean? Like it's, our brains are, and it's just such a gift to be able to find sobriety, given like what my brain went through and just the the narrative. Like I had lived a certain way for 31 years with certain beliefs that, that and fear and like a certain, you know, governing script in my life. Like this is, this is what life is. I have to do this. And I found no joy. I was never happy. I had some moments in my childhood where I was happy because I, like I said, I had the most amazing mom, but, um, I would say for like, up until I, f- I found recovery, I was never happy. Mm-hmm. And now I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it's almost 830 already. We've got like two minutes left. 
Uh, is there a the best. What happened? What's wrong with my thing? <laughs> a lot into the stream of life these days. Time goes yeah. by. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a message you would have for someone who's maybe struggling right now listening to this and either in recovery or hasn't found recovery yet? Okay, I would say that <clears throat> the truest, most amazing life that you can ever picture yourself Uh, is never going to be an easy one. And I would say that recovery has given me the ability to find so much gratitude and enough peace to get through those lows of life. So it's like, I have this loving heart and this quiet mind. When years ago, I had a very dark heart and a very toxic mind that wouldn't shut off. Mm -hmm. And to be given the freedom from having that I mean, it's just like, it's a fairy tale and it's not work. Like everyone talks about how, you know, we want to find an easier, softer way, like the program of recovery, like doing this work. If you have this disease, that is the easier, softer way. Cause Mm -hmm. I've done the other stuff (laughs) and it is dark and gross and tough. Mm -hmm. So just one day at a time, honestly, nothing rings truer for me than that one day at a time. You don't have to friggin' solve everything today. You know, I bought an instant pot. I'm going to go make chicken <laughs> after this. I'm going to read my Kindle, wash my face one day at a time. <laughs> so amazing. Thank you so, so much for joining us here today and sharing your incredible story. Oh, I love you guys. Thank you so much for asking me and for being of service to our amazing community. Oh, thank you, Amanda. Amazing. All right, guys, we are going to head out. Um, Go to iTunes tomorrow and listen to this podcast. Send us a review. Let us know what you think. We want your comments on Facebook here and share this with your friends, with someone you know who needs to hear it. Um, Amanda's story is incredible. I'm so glad you joined us here today. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week at 7.30. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We are thrilled to have you as a part of this community, and we are really trying to grow and reach more people. So there's a lot of ways you can get involved. One is going to our website. There's some really great resources there. Yes, and the most exciting part is checking out those GIFs. Or what do you call them? Gifts. I call them gifts. You call them gifts, whatever. Tomato, tomato. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're actually enjoying your sober life and you're going and you're posting on your Instagram, please just go to Seek Purpose and check them all out and tag us. I want to see what you guys are doing out there in sober life. Yeah, we also have filters actually we've been putting out as well. There's so much you can do um, through social media with Seek Purpose, like like, comment, share, all of our posts, really get involved with this community. There's so much help out there for you and so much connection here we've been finding. Yeah, and you know, the one thing that we have learned in recovery is asking for help. So we're going to ask for help and just become a patron Mm -hmm. and come help be a part of this community and help it grow. And uh, we'd love to have you. If you want to become a patron, we have a link on our website that you can click. And there's some really cool perks of becoming a patron with Seek Purpose. So we hope you check that out. And obviously, if you review this podcast on whatever podcasting app you're listening to, it's going to help us reach more ears and get that message out of recovery. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. We have so much more in store. And uh, as our, our little community grows, our collective There's exciting things that are happening that are coming out uh, that we can't wait for you to be involved with. So stay tuned and uh, stay connected.